Hello, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Akaniana and I am a big sis. Hi, welcome. I am Salem and I too have the title of big sister. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast is a safe space for all the big sisters who wish they had their own big sisters to big sister them through this thing called life. And of course, all of our loves. Yes, we at the Big Sisters Anonymous podcast celebrate and revel in Black girl magic, the power of sisterhood, the beauty and her of being in your late 20s and figuring out this thing called being grown. Mm-hmm. Uh, hello, sis. Hey, friend. How you doing? I'm good. How are you today? You know, this has been a whirlwind weekend. Uh. Um. And I spent both yesterday and the majority of today catching up on schoolwork. Yes. Uh, and really, really trying to center myself and get myself ready as we are in the last month of the semester, truly. So, wow. yeah, I realized at one point last week that I don't have any technical days off. I'm either in clinic or in class Monday through Friday and some Saturdays from... October 17th through November 16th so not looking forward to the next month but mm-hmm. trying to get myself together and remind myself that I'm that girl so, you are so. that girl mm-hmm. and these motherfuckers ain't stopping you <laughs> hey, they, they should not they not going to okay um, they might try, okay, they, might try but they will not be successful, and we saw evidence of that this week. But I was gonna say, speaking on that, would you like to tell the people uh the very specific brand of violence that you encountered this week and the ways that you just navigated that so skillfully? Oh, well, thank you, friend. I'm gonna keep it like super high level, you know. Yes. Mm-hmm everybody this is still free I can't drag everybody the way I want to uh publicly just yet but let's just say that an authority figure in my life tried to reprimand me for not completing a task that was like really arbitrary in my mind and um Full disclosure, I've been very overwhelmed. In this task, I take full responsibility for it falling through the cracks. However, the way that this authority figure talked to me was so incredibly demeaning. Mm -hmm. Um, They called me and the conversation lasted 50 seconds in which they hung up on me after they told me off. Um, And I called them back immediately and told them that that was inappropriate and unacceptable and I would not be accepting such communication and conduct, even though uh, this person is, quote unquote, like my superior, quote unquote, like air quotes all over that. Yeah. Because I do not believe this human being is superior to me in any way. In any way. However, she spoke to me as if she thought she was superior to me in some sort of way. So I just had to get her together right quick. And we had to reestablish our norms. Um she thinks that she met me last year, but truly and honestly, she met me on this week. <laughs> and yes, 
100% because I was on the phone with you when she called me and then I called you back mm-hmm. uh, to update you on what had happened. So she went yeah. off on me for 50 seconds. I called her back and we had a conversation that lasted 14 minutes, mm-hmm. which I monologued for a significant portion of that. But I just felt so strongly that allowing her to disrespect me was not only allowing her to disrespect me as an individual, but literally every woman in my blood. And I respect myself and I hold myself in such high regard Uh uh, because of the women in my blood. And so since she didn't know, look, if you didn't know, now you know. So that is what I'm coming down from. And I was incredibly angry about it, but so proud of myself for holding myself with, you know, a, a sense of self-regard a sense of self-regard not to this episode because we're going to be talking all about self-regard um yeah and what a beautiful way to begin by reaffirming that the fact that you were able to do that with an authority figure right with quote-unquote an authority mm-hmm. figure um and do that in real time I think that's so <laughs> remarkable because you know sometimes when people bring abuse our way it's like you're just so in shock that I know for me it can be difficult to just be like wait did that like to process and to know what to say and to just meet them right back <laughs> in a way that is so mm-hmm. simple but also shows the full extent of your own humanity um and I think you did that well I know you did that really really well so I'm proud of you for reclaiming your time (laughs) thanks babes you know you got to get it how you live and every little way I can reclaim my own self during the cluster that is a doctor to midwifery I I will try I do it as often as I can so very thankful that I had you to immediately debrief (laughs) with um because yeah it was messy it wasn't as cute as I would want it to be but uh I'm proud of my I will always be proud of myself for standing up for myself yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But how are you doing after this week, friend? See Girl, this week was a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I got another rejection from mm-hmm. a company that I formerly respected. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've decided that after multiple rejections from this company, I just cannot hold myself in high regard and also hold them in high regard and therefore yeah yeah, I will always hold myself in higher regard um and also I had a moment where a white man really just beholded my brilliance and was dumb about it and didn't really see my brilliance and made me be like why why do the lesser uh race have to witness me no offense to anyone who is non-black right now. Um, I feel but- like that was so <laughs> offensive, but I'm going to let you have it. <laughs> Thank you. No offense. No offense. Um, sometimes. That's really just targeted to that specific person. And all the people right. who think that because of the lie of white supremacy, that mm. they are superior in thought and when they witness black girl brilliance they just it short circuits their brain and if they don't take a minute to like ground themselves they just Mm. spew things and you're like you obviously are uncomfortable with brilliance hey 
Um, and so I had one of those moments this week and both of those things took me to some lows. However, I got to be in space with the brilliance that is Judy Smith, who is... You did. Yeah, who is the woman, for those of you who don't know, she is the woman whose work inspired Scandal. She did not have a relationship with the president at her time. George W. Bush. George W. Bush, she did not. She, she was not involved. Uh, she did Allegedly. Not have, allegedly. <laughs> depending on what the definition of ease is. So right. Um, right, right, right. I just had to. Um, but yeah, so she's incredibly brilliant. And it was so powerful to be in that space with her and to witness other Black women ask her questions about herself. There is a curiosity that Black women have about each other that is just mm-hmm. so different from the kinds of curiosity that other people have about us. And oh. yeah, and when you see Black women like asking, like one of the questions that someone asked her was like, you were just one of the strategists behind um, Coretta, Coretta King's um, funeral. Like, how did you get into it? And she just was like, oh, I just happened to be in Atlanta and my good friends were like, hey, we need someone to like do this and strategize around how to plan this in a way that honors the woman that she is. And she was like, and I was like, cool. I'll do it. She was like, no compensation needed, you know? And so to like use your brilliance in service of people who you just love and respect. And it's not even a money thing. It's just, I can use my brainchild here and support where I need Mm -hmm. to support and Mm -hmm. just show up with such excellence. And, And for people to be curious about the lesser known quote unquote aspects of your work, but the things that drive who you are as a person, I just love witnessing it. And, you know, she's a strategist. I'm a strategist. So there was something about being in that space with her that just really affirmed me professionally and affirmed the longevity that I want to have in my work as an entrepreneur and also someone who is in the strategic, uh, in who does strategic work for a living. Um, yeah, it was it was really brilliant. And so I am ending this week and beginning this new week, just really reminding myself to ground into my own body. Um, mm-hmm. My period is here. She she showed up a little early. So I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I, I am also just like curious about that. And, but really a reminder to just be back in my body and be back, give back to myself after all of the yeah. ways that, other external forces may try to take from me. Hmm. Well, I'm happy that you got to rebound with Judy Smith, AKA the OG Olivia Pope. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like you said, when you texted me about it, there are so many NDAs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy Mm -hmm. she was able to answer some questions. Some questions. And black girls gave her quality questions. Yes. Yes. And it's a, it's so funny because I feel like so many of us were actually not interested at all in the White House shenanigans. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're just like, that does not interest us. But like, Mm-mm. who is inspiring to you? Like, what is your daily routine? You know, when mm-hmm. you go when you're stressed, like these types of questions that just speak to people's interior lives. And I love, yeah. you know, the, the interior lives of Black women is one of my favorite things to behold. So mm-hmm. love to see it. Yeah, it's good. I and I think really the interior lives and the humanity, right? Because yes. it's so easy for her to just be a public figure. 
mm-hmm. and for black women to become archetypes that we pedestalize mm-hmm. who aren't humans with real routines and rituals and ways of being and yeah there's a way that black girls call that out of other black girls in a very very specific way so shout out to you for experiencing that yeah it was beautiful it was beautiful Mm -hmm. so we can hop right into girl did you see this our little pop culture segment brought to you directly from the dms that we send to each other across tiktok twitter and instagram and you know all sorts of variety of ways. So what she what you got for us, friend? Oh, okay. Coming in hot, number one. Will I say that? <laughs> oh goodness. I, I know, I know we're feeding into the chaos by discussing this, but I want to feed into the chaos by discussing this. <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do. Because <laughs> we spend so many minutes between us deep diving, rabbit holing, and having a conversation about Will and Jada's relationship timelines what has been said what has not been said that mm-hmm. I want to bring it to you know bring it to the pod family bring it so to the for those of you who may have been under a rock this last two weeks uh love that for you um <laughs> love that no seriously like love, wish it could be me I tried I tried to take a, a social media sabbatical in the last two weeks I lasted um 72 hours so you did uh, last 72 hours I was keeping count <laughs> thank you thank you thank you for mm-hmm. keeping count um but yes yeah, so Will and uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is back with a book she is releasing her memoir well I guess her memoir has been released called Worthy I believe and mm-hmm. it is giving us some juice Chief juice of all is that she and Will have been separated since 2016. Now, in case oh, you're wondering, okay. right. Now, in case you're wondering, yes, they did go together. They did come back to our faces in 2020 to talk about the entanglements. Yes. Her entanglement <laughs> with August Elsina. And the nowhere in that conversation was a conversation about a separation. So, um, I, I disagree. Felt, I disagree. Right. I felt like she was not explicit about her, um, separation and mm-hmm. where Akariana and I have had some quarrels. <laughs> quarrels is not wow. even the word. Squabble, maybe disagreements mm-hmm. about disagreement. disagreements about this situation is I very much feel like since Jada and Will have brought us into their relationship multiple times, another point of contention, because you don't feel like they've brought us in, you feel like they've been forced to address their relationship. But I feel like since they have taken such painstaking steps to define and refine and speak on the statuses and states of their relationship, the public deserved to know about the separation. Maybe not in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, but maybe 2020 when they're just out here giving us the lowdown on their entanglements. I feel like making it seem like, oh, we still love each other. And they do still love each other. They did say that they still love each other. And even in this most public most recent press to our will after this separation and all the things that Jada has said about this man, he still reaffirmed his forever love for ever, ever, 
forever and ever love for Jada through their separation. But I just think that my my uh point of contention, my bone to pick with them is yes, you don't owe us anything. But if you're going to bring us into your relationship, then maybe do it a little more transparently because and don't wait until you're trying to sell them a more because honestly if you didn't want us to know that you're separated don't tell us but if you want us to know that you're separated don't wait until you're giving a memoir it just gives like dishonest until oh. until i need something from you so it's like what is it what is true are you even separated or is this just another ploy to sell a book like will you come back in five years and be like jk we're not even separated that was a moment Will you give us another pop culture word for your separation? Will you be cosmically, uh, cosmically, cosmically wow. aligned? Wow. Anyways, I'm getting heated. I'm going to let you uh, share Jeez. your thoughts about it. Heated. Heated. Heated, heated, heated. Yeah, you have a lot of big feelings about these people. Um, I do. That we do not know. That we do not know. And so I want to center my position in the fact that I have never met Jada Pinkett Smith and I have never met Willard Smith. I do okay. not know them people. Yes. And since I do not know them people, they do not owe me anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my position, mm-hmm. it, it's funny to me the way that Twitter responded to finding out that like they were separated but still legally married and we're living in the the same house because I'm just like, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's a consequence of me being a Southern black church girl in my upraising who grew up in a denomination that didn't believe in divorce but people don't begin to like people don't begin divorce and be sitting together and in church and separated ain't slept in the same bed in 20 years okay (laughs) seen the other person's bedroom in a quality 15 right Mm -hmm. but they be in there every sunday morning like married people okay lots of people are separated you know for all intents and purposes and are leaving very separate lives but still show up in public together because it's nobody's business and so they have really complicated complex relationships Mm -hmm. and so to find out that Jada and Will are just as messy as your favorite drunk uncle Mm -hmm. like this was not the first time we've seen it people Mm -hmm. do this all the time and again baby if you can live with it I can live around it uh-huh. So if that's what y'all have set up for yourself, like that's what you've set up for yourself. I very much, even in 2020, was like, these people are not together. So I've kind of always felt like they were not together. Yes. In a way that was a like symbiotic, fully enmeshed life. Like they, to me, didn't feel like a happily married couple yeah even after the red table talk and so to find out that they had already been separated for years and they technically are still separated or and are figuring out what they want the next iteration of their life to be like that's no big surprise to me and I don't think they owe us anything I I personally don't believe that these strangers owe me absolutely anything on any real timetable mm-hmm. um and a therapist friend said to me recently our stories are sometimes the only thing we have full ownership and control over. Mm. And even though Jada Pinkett Smith is a famous person, like her story belongs to her. Yeah. It is hers. And so if she wants to slow drip the reveal over the next 30 years, it's hers. If she yeah. wants to drop a whole nother memoir at the end of her life 
a la Cicely Tyson, you know, this, this is her story. And I'm not a memoir girly anyways. Like I very Mm -hmm. rarely read memoirs. So I think, you know, everybody should be allowed to reveal as much as they want to reveal. My personal position though, is that the people who are in her intimate life and not just Jada, but Will as well, the people who are doing life with them, hiding Mm -hmm. this sort of thing from those folks, criminal. Okay. But from the general public, they don't, they don't owe us nothing. And again, I feel like we do know too much. Everything I know is against my will. Um, <laughs> Pun intended. But also, they don't owe us any of the things that we know. My position is that we shouldn't feel entitled to any more information from them. Because I thought we didn't want to know more. So you can't both not want to know more and want to know it all in real time. Yeah. I think... I and which what's funny is I agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> she's about to lawyer. She's about to lawyer and she's gonna let me just go ahead and add a content warning right here. This is the <laughs> posture that she takes where she's about to lawyer and mince words. So <laughs> you've been warned, listener. You've been warned. She didn't even get a full sentence out. And I was like, <laughs> occupational hazard. That's hilarious. Uh, you know me too well because I was about to say ideologically, I agree with everything you have said. <laughs> However, operationally, <laughs> I do not agree with the fact that they don't owe us anything. Yes, ideologically, no one owes us anything. Okay, like yes, but I mean, some people do owe us stuff. Like they owe this information to the people close to them. I'm gonna right. say that. Right, right, right. Like we as as to like you know. We don't we don't do anything for them for real except you know buy their books, watch their direct table talks like really pedestal them in a particular way through the cause of celebrity right like mm-hmm. yes we are we are comp we we mm, what's the word I'm looking for anyways irrelevant we are in their story because they have brought us into their story. And it feels like, yes, you don't owe us anything, but you've also just given, you've given us so much. And part of what you've given us has been this idea of transparency. They talk so much about vulnerability and transparency and like wanting to model what it's like to walk in integrity and openness and all of these things publicly. I mean, even when Will was talking about his marriage on this most recent tour, right? He said, a marriage is like a public experiment, right? Of blah 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 but whatever else he went on to say but he did use the words like public experiment so it's as other public experiments go like you it would be like okay yes you don't owe us anything but part of the social contract is people who have positioned themselves as celebrities who are creating their celebrity around the act of openness and transparency and vulnerability and bringing you into our lives in this particular way I think to me, they've put that on themselves. And, you know, honestly, eight years is not a long time in the grand scheme of life to have held that information closer to their chest. So in their defense, right. like it's actually not a long time. But I think because maybe if the 2020 incident hadn't happened and they were still like, oh, we're still trying to 
figure this out I wouldn't feel so personally but it's like you had a moment where you spoke up about this thing where there was like a lot of conversation culturally and you leaving that piece of the information and actually making like saying things that would make the average non-critical eye <laughs> believe that you all are still together and you've worked through this is what I like take offense with However, the critical eye, like you, you, you know, you saw that and you were like, oh, people thought, watched the, that and thought that they were together. Like, how do y'all think that? Because they didn't say that. <laughs> but I think that for people who like pick up on the things that are not said or the things that are not explicit, that was clear. But for those of us mm -hmm. who were just like, oh, this is what they're, who were reading meaning into the things that they were saying based on what they were not saying. And you know what? I think this is a great example because I feel like this happens to us quite frequently. I don't take anything at face value. You don't. You don't. I don't take anything at face value. Right. You don't. You rarely take people at face value. You rarely take things that come opportunities like you. You do not. And I am on. I take everything yeah. at face value. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I think having that different sort of like internal constitution. Mm -hmm. personal constitution makes it you know a lot more foundation breaking when things are not as they seem whereas yeah. I'm just kind of expecting things to not be as they seem so yeah you know I'm wishing whatever comes to Will and Jada as they navigate whatever comes <laughs> yes yes honestly wishing them the best I will probably listen to the memoir when I feel less passionately because I do like the memoir and I do think that a like I don't think that the public hates that Jada herself has been getting is warranted like mm -hmm. she is part of a partnership and so if you're gonna speak speak on it speak on it you know and I think that Jada in general just triggers a lot of people absolutely um especially a lot of men um and so she's been getting a lot of hate and I hope that she is able to just stand strong I cannot imagine how difficult it must be personally to release memoir as a writer who likes to write memoir type things I know the vulnerability hangover is probably kicking her ass as well and going on tour so I'm hoping that she is loved up and supported by her real life loves yeah and I also think and this is the last thing I also think waiting is what allows her to be so public about it right like there's an amount of emotional detachment that comes with this being such a long-standing issue that yeah. they might not have had in 2020 because it was just being activated by August not being able to hold his tongue yeah. and so there's a way that when you release things when you are emotionally ready you are more able to like stand trial in the court of public opinion because mm -hmm. you've already worked through it in a very important way that might not have happened before right now you know yeah, yeah. um and so again, like not, I don't want us to feel pressured with our own stories and our own narratives to like quickly release them in real time, like actively. That's, I don't know, that's not where I am. Yeah. Uh, definitely. I, I, but how? I, I ideologically actually really agree with you. <laughs> you do, ideologically, but practically. Hmm, the world may never know. Uh, <laughs> on that note, hopping into our next topic, the sweetheart of Wakanda, mm. Nakia 
Uh. known by the people who named her as Lupita Nyong'o. Love that. Yes, thank you. Uh, She is experiencing a very public breakup from, I don't even know if I want to say his name. Like, I don't even know if it's worth it to list this man's name on the internet. So I don't, Uh -uh. I will. But, you know, of South African fame, he comes from people who should have more sense. Uh Um. And yeah, Lupita posted on Instagram this very cute caption, very deep caption. When I, I'm going to go ahead and read because I don't think it's every day that we get a peek into Lupita Nyong'o's interior life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was really interesting, but she just posted this, these texts on her story and on her grid. And she said, there are much more important things going on in the world right now. And my thoughts are with those who are deeply suffering. At this moment, it is necessary for me to share a personal truth and publicly disassociate myself from someone I can no longer trust. I find myself in a season of heartbreak because of a love suddenly and devastatingly extinguished by deception. I am tempted to run into the shadows and hide only to return to the light when I have regained my strength enough for me to say, whatever, my life is better this way. But I'm reminded that the magnitude of the pain I'm feeling is equal to the measure of my capacity for love. And Mm -hmm. so I'm choosing to face the pain, cultivating the courage to meet my life exactly as it is and trusting that this too shall pass. The promise, they say, is that a tender heart is what gives birth to fearlessness. I hope it's true. I share this to keep it 100 and hoping that the knowledge of my experience might be useful to someone else out there experiencing the grip of heartbreak who is poised to try and escape from the pain and miss out on the wisdom that comes from it. Hashtag breakup. Let's face our pain so we don't Reddit. Mm. Wow. Wow. You know, I feel like this really encapsulates the whole needing a big sister, right? Because yeah. this sort of container and description and encapsulation of how we alchemize heartbreak and mm-hmm. disappointment and the ending of things and how broken it can leave us. It was so beautiful and I have never had a big sister speak to my heartbreak in these specific ways Mm. and to see her just kind of take up this space on the internet and really say like I'm devastatingly broken yeah um and I'm sharing this with you all in real time as it happens you know Uh well who knows when she broke up from that man who we shall not name um because she ain't naming in the caption so (laughs) me neither um but to say that i'm i'm going to face this so that i don't spread it oh you know how i feel about running from our emotions and knowing that our big emotions we cannot outrun them and so to see her be this sort of publicly vulnerable around heartbreak particularly as a woman of a certain age it just it meant so much like it really i stopped you know yeah. I was just like what is she saying what's going on right. um and you know if Lupita can get her heart broken anybody can anyway. um 
but we will we will survive this you know like I always say I don't never want to be heartbroken ever again I've okay. faced my heartbreak I ain't gonna do that again I'm not gonna do that one and done um, <laughs> one and done <laughs> <laughs> baby I don't know how y'all do that all the time y'all be just uh-huh. no um but if I am to find myself heartbroken again I know I will return to these words like absolutely yes Ooh. I think it really the publicly disassociate myself from someone I can no longer trust. I'm like, can we bring that back? Like, I hey. I want to see people publicly disassociate because you know the couple of people that I would like to publicly disassociate myself from. <laughs> <laughs> the Scorpio yeah. when I saw that, and I was like, hey. wow, that's practice. Mm-hmm. Like, damn, public disassociation. Mm-hmm. Public disassociate. Like, bring back this fellowship culture. <laughs> <laughs> not this fellowship culture <laughs> well <laughs> some folks might need it some folks might need you know for those of you who do not grow up in the churches of christ or churches who actually disfellowship people um part of our spiritual lineage is you know big into disfellowshipping when people have walked in or walked away from the lord or walked away from their community there is a ritual around like, you know, just publicly acknowledging that they're no longer part of the community. And violence, truly. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> but you know, I, I do think that there's some some something there that can be repurposed in less violent ways. But yeah. The act of naming that, hey, this person is like no longer part of my life. Do not associate me with them. When you think of me, think of them, don't don't um, if like, you think of me don't don't <laughs> Woo. Yes. you know that sat well with me yes mm-hmm. mm. well sending love to our sis lupita and just mm-hmm. i hope that good love finds her and that i hope yeah. you know her heart continues to heal and mm-hmm. that this season of heartbreak just mm, makes her so soft and reminds her of the softest and most tender parts of her that are worth protecting and worth caring for. And her community just shows up and loves on her because we hate it. It's the ghetto. It's a really awful place to be. And, you know, she says it. The magnitude of the pain I am feeling is equal to the measure of my capacity for love. So mm-hmm. let us all revel in our capacity for big love that's greater than deception because that's there's no love there right right it's beautiful okay so i'm gonna move to something a little bit hopefully we spend a little less time on this one because anyway (laughs) so there is that i think this is probably more in certain circles but on twitter there's been a conversation happening about um, a video that the Quana White did on TikTok about her wax. So she's a woman who lives with PCOS and part of her PCOS um, symptom is that she grows a lot of facial hair. And so she was just doing a video about waxing and like the implications of being a woman who has facial hair and who can be misgendered sometimes. Well, um, a there's a Nigerian like LGBTQ professor and advocate, just a really wonderful person who I respect, um, Dr. Uju, who used her video as a way to like educate the general public on Twitter and her pretty massive Twitter audience on the ways that 
even cisgender women practice gender affirming care. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was excellent. However, um, the Quana White, the original poster of the video on TikTok, came back and shared how she did not appreciate her video being used as a lecture point. And the context of her video just, it was like, she felt like her video was not used in the ways that she wanted to use the video and not used within her audience. It was shared broadly outside of her audience, which opened her up to more violence than she was experiencing. And so there's just been a lot of conversation about, A, like there's been transphobia that has been part of this conversation, which obviously we don't condone. But I think there's something to the ways that we now have to think about social media as we start to amplify and see people as content the real harm that can come from sharing someone's story outside of the scope and outside of the context and outside of the space that they shared their context, right? There's always this thing on Twitter of like, don't bring TikTok videos over here. But it's Mm. real. Like if someone chooses a specific platform to share something that is so personal to them and to the specific audience that they've taken time to cultivate and you as an influencer who has more of a larger audience in your effort to amplify their work, you can actually be exposing them to more violence or exposing them to something that they they did not sign up for. And also just exposing, exposing them in a way that they may not want to be exposed, right? Like people yeah. choose, pick and choose. And so I, I seeing a lot of the dialogue that have come has come from that video is making me think about how for people who do social impact work, like how we create boundaries around the things that we choose as educational moments because people's stories Mm -hmm. yes can be educational but only in the lens that they consent to it being used as educational and only within the spaces and to it being used as educational right and something that can just be a story to them a day in their life doesn't need to be made into like this inspo porn type educational like Mm -hmm. factory um and it just Mm -hmm. feels like farming and non-consensual so like practicing consent and practicing um humility in how we show up if you're someone who has who is platformed in any particular kind of way it's just so important and I appreciate that in the pushback like even though Uju is someone who a lot of us respect like I appreciate that she actually pushed back against the use of her video by someone who had more followers to educate a community um on something that she was not trying to educate around right like she was trying to educate around PCOS and her struggles with PCOS versus being a face for cis women and gender affirming care among cis women that's a different topic You know, and I I think social media has really given us beans for brains when it comes to consent. Mm -hmm. Like, we're really losing the plot when it comes to even filming and photographing strangers in public and then repurposing other people's content for our own platforms. That's something where so many people are coming into trouble with it, whether it's using Mm -hmm. artist words and not crediting them or you know, filming random people on the subway. And it's just, I think a lot of times because we see people living publicly, we believe that their lives are for our consumption and that's becoming worse in the social media age. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't really see a whole bunch of this conversation. And there's nuance here. Gender affirming care is vital and life-saving for trans folks. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't think that we need to center cis people and their usage of gender affirming care Mm -hmm. to make gender affirming care for trans folks more accessible. Yes. Right? Like there's this interesting cis heterosexism that comes with saying that like, oh, look, cis women also engage in gender affirming care, which means trans women need to have gender affirming care. And it's like Mm -hmm. trans women need gender affirming care because gender affirming care is healthcare and it's life-saving care. Like this has nothing to do with cis women. Like go right. sit down somewhere, you know? Right. Like they don't need to be the center central part of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see that happening more and more where we're like, mm-hmm. oh, look at all of the gender affirming care that cis women do. Therefore, trans women should have access to it. And it's like mm-hmm. trans women should have access to it because trans women should have access to it. Yeah, We don't need to center cis women's stories and their needs. Like there's enough of that right. in healthcare conversation like we take up plenty of space right um yeah so that's just my like <laughs> I don't know if that was even useful yeah no 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 no, no. yeah yeah no, I, I appreciate what you said there because yeah anyways coming to you from your neighborhood healthcare professional <laughs> <laughs> coming so to you, from your, you know definitely uh my next little pop culture thing short to the point Beyonce Giselle Knowles Carter and Taylor Ann Swift I don't know if her middle name is Taylor Ann (laughs) I do not know but I just Taylor Ann feels correct um and Taylor Ann Swift went to dinner allegedly yeah and Beyonce who don't never leave her house and her 5011 kids Uh was spotted at Taylor's premiere for her um concert film which premiered a couple weeks ago and honestly I don't really give too 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 much to Stan Wars you know I don't really see that I focus on my fave and everybody can have their fave right. but as long as you're not talking about my fave we're cool over here we're cool uh-huh. um and however there are a lot of stands in the hive and whatever I guess Swifties Swifties yeah yeah, between the Hive and the Swifties that have very strong feelings about each other. And apparently this was a ceasefire. Uh-huh. This was a peace treaty and we have uh-huh. ended stand wars, hopefully forever, but maybe oh. for the foreseeable future. So happy to see Beyonce outside. Um, Beyonce outside and once again, contributing to world peace. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know. I was yes. here. I lived, I loved, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, Beyonce is a humanitarian, you know, just world mm-hmm. peace. One world premiere peace. at a time. Mm-hmm. One premiere at a time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Well, to, to end our pop culture segment, um, we just wanted to big up Issa Rae on releasing her own brand of per cycle. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, pew. Like, I don't know how Issa Rae does it all. She truly does. She is the 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 mogul, okay? Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm going to say this and it's going to be controversial. This just came to me. Oh, no. But, um, right. <laughs> are you ready for this? I'm not. Okay, obviously. Um, <laughs> Oprah is the Issa Rae of her time. Okay. Okay. Do you, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. That was, I was preparing for the worst. For and worst. this... <laughs> We I accept this, okay? Yes. Yeah. 
Like Oprah is the Oprah Issa is the Issa Rae of her time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like, 100%. Like Issa Rae is building empires. Do you understand? Like, okay, mm-hmm. she's given mm-hmm. us Insecure. She's given us production company. She's given us audio company. Like, mm-hmm. she has artists under her label. And now Coffee she shops. has... Right. And now she has Prosecco available yeah. at Target nationwide. Allegedly. I checked it's not over by me, but, you know. It's, it's, it's not over by you. You know Montgomery will be the last to have it. <laughs> I'm still fighting for them to bring the Black Girl Riesling to Montgomery. Oh, you don't have that? don't have that for long. We don't no, have that. I'm so sorry. I know. I'm so sad. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, when I go out of town, I can stock up on my wines. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I'm so proud of sis. I'm proud of her. I'm proud of her. And you want to speak to the men of Insecure being back together? Honestly, one, well, first, wanted to say that Issa Rae is a beautiful case study in moving on your own timeline and doing like crafting a path for yourself because there's Mm -hmm. no way at the beginning of awkward black girl we would see prosecco right um this only makes sense in the insecure era where you know her big thing was she like what was her drink oh it's prosecco with something in it but anyways because she was like i'm grown now right um but she has charted her own path in a way that is brilliant to watch, incredible to witness from the awkward black girl YouTube days mm-hmm. to her mogul Oprah era. Mm-hmm. Um, or is Oprah in her Easter Ray era? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, phenomenal to witness. And as a piece of this release process, the men of Insecure were back together again. Yes. And I think something that Issa Ray gave us Mm. which is something that we haven't seen in a really long time is a Mm -hmm. cast of such beautiful wonderful spectacular black men um it's unmatched like her casting directors deserve i don't even know what kind of awards they get but they deserve every single one yes and so jay ellis posted a picture of the boys back together again to celebrate Issa's prosecco i was like wow i've missed seeing all of you oh well, not season. all not everybody <laughs> i could go without seeing sharon jackson don't but don't do that don't bro uh anyways I love uh, I, every opportunity for drill slides. <laughs> like every single opportunity you have, you will not miss. Ever. Okay. But mm-hmm. other than him, <laughs> I have missed seeing everybody in all of their glory mm-hmm. on my television. Um, and I would just like to thank Easter Ray for bringing these men to our television screens on HBO, right? Because if we had gotten this show on another streaming platform we would not have been able to witness everything that we witnessed all of the glory honor wonder beauty magic Ooh, mm -hmm. which you know right but because it was hbo we we were given so much so much we thank you slight tangent i did i told you this but i was watching over the summer um when the boys were spending some time here we decided to watch um insecure together with our my brother and cousins for the first time i introduced and them. they are 
18 and 20 for context. Yes, yes for 18 and 20. And I forgot how much our rated content we sat through at that age for Insecure because I'm just sitting just here with sex. the boys. Just sex. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here with the boys and they're like, another sex scene? And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> Another one, thank you. <laughs> another one, thank you. Oh, it's so visual. I say, yes, it's a female gaze. Like, y'all just, it's yes, so, so absolutely. Much. I say, yes, absolutely. y'all, y'all, right. It was such a teachable moment because I'm like, y'all are so used to watching women, you know, in the sexual ass, and it's all like the woman is everywhere and every all her everything is everywhere. No, now watch a man's bum bum. <laughs> <laughs> now Get watch into a it. man's bum bum. Mm-hmm. Get into it. Feel the feel that thing that we feel when it's just like breast everywhere. Like, yes, you feel that. So uh shout out to Issa Ray because we had just wonderful, wonderful years of beautiful men and mm-hmm. all their assets. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you, Issa. Issa, we thank you. Issa, we thank you. Yes. All right. So to hop into our tea with my sis segment today, this segment and probably the episode is titled Bring Back Our Self Regard. Looking specifically at our self esteem and the way all of those things have been impacted by social media and all the things it's doing to us currently. Yes. Um, When it came to this topic and choosing this topic, the title came to us weeks ago. And I was just yes. like, can we bring back our self-regard? Hashtag bring back our girls. Hashtag bring back our shame was something yes. that we we brainstormed. But bring back our self-regard, actually. Yes. Um, And this was actually taken from the source of self-regard, which is an excellent selection of essays and speeches from the late great Toni Morrison that was published in 2019 and the title of the book is the source of self-regard there's an essay in the book called the source of self-regard and I wanted to just read a segment where she's really talking about this idea um So she says, moving into reconstruction and beyond it, as difficult as it was to function as a mother with control over the destiny of one's children, it still became then certainly a legal responsibility after slavery. So this is where the sources of self-regard came from Margaret Garner or Setha. And it is exaggerated because it's that important and that alien and that strange and that vital But when Setha asks me, me at the end of Beloved, it's a real movement toward a recognition of self-regard. And so she's talking about this um, excerpt at the end of Beloved, which is based on Margaret Garner and written by the character, the main character who's based on Margaret Garner's name is Setha. And at the end of the book, her lover is saying, she's in a really bad depressive episode where she really thinks that her own best thing, her best thing is her deceased daughter. So she says this to her lover, Polly D, and he goes, you, your best thing, Setha, you are. His holding fingers, holding hers. And she responds, me, me, which is that piece that um, Morrison is highlighting in this essay many, many, many years later, but centering this text on our self-regard and in the ways that that has been molded in the 21st century by 
our friend and our foe, social media. <laughs> social so, media. So, to jump right in, what's your relationship to the internet like and how has it evolved over time? Ooh, great question. Um, So, when we're thinking about this, I spent a lot of time thinking about the early days of IG. Um, my first social media was Facebook and that was the wild, wild west. But my first, <laughs> my first real social media that brought curation into my mind and curation of the self was IG. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, I was one of the early adopters of, uh, adopters of IG. So like 2010, I believe was when I joined and it just felt so free and so real and such a space to show yourself to have a visual archive of yourself. I wouldn't have had that language then for it, but mm-hmm. it was the first time that I think I was like, oh, I can like capture a moment and share in real time what this moment was for me to people who I like. And I think because I've always been a words girl, like Facebook was a place where I shared my words, but IG was the place where I curated myself and I came into myself in a lot of ways and there were other you know I I did use Twitter a little bit but a little less I think when I thought of the self and the visual components of the self the visual elements of IG forced a sense of thought and preparation into like how I showed myself and I really Mm. loved that um obviously with all of the different ways that social media became commercialized um I ended up like deleting my Facebook, complete, like permanently deleting my childhood Facebook maybe four or five years ago. And I have one that I use for strictly business and like to connect with family that may be far away now. But for like two, three years, I had left Facebook because it just became this like toxic <laughs> cesspool. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, when all of that stuff was going on with the lawsuits against Zuckerberg and all of the things that he allowed on that platform, I just felt really drawn to leaving. Obviously, Twitter is, <laughs> I'm still on Twitter, but not really like I used to. Like, I don't trust the platform anymore. And since mm-hmm. South African uh, apartheid guy took over, I don't really, I don't really trust. Apartheid Clyde? No? Apartheid Clyde? Yes, Apartheid Clyde. Mm-hmm. Um, don't really trust the platform um, but I just feel like in right now what I'm witnessing and how I feel about social media is it has become this bottomless pit of conformity Ooh. it's like yeah like everyone is posting similar things like very little originality the algorithm is an oppressive force um, people are creating content for the algorithm rather than for themselves I find myself creating content but well now I've stopped but when I to observe it was like oh I'm just feeding the algorithm and I've always mm-hmm. had a very interesting relationship to the algorithm because the algorithm does not like my face and... <laughs> I'm sorry that's not funny <laughs> it's kind of jarring but it's, yeah, it's hilarious but the algorithm if I post my face if, this is across social media platforms if I post my face on something maybe except Facebook if I post my face on something, I will get very little likes and views mm-hmm. or like a picture of myself. If I post my thoughts on something, it always like gets way more likes, way more views, way more visibility. So I've always, from like the last five to six years, I've kind of been aware of that trend that the algorithm literally does not like myself. And like, what does it mean when mm-hmm. the algorithm does not like yourself? You know, like your, your yeah. physicality, like that's actually quite shitty. 
And yeah. so persistence on showing up and being visible visually what I know that if I want these I just need to like post something about what I'm thinking I need to post something about my work my politics like my frameworks mm-hmm. all of those things will get high visibility and then as someone who like constantly threads this line of like wanting to be seen and also craving invisibility at the same time like continually walking that line through social media is exhausting but also mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the only thing that I have in some ways to like practice that how to like show myself in ways that feel safe but also challenge me to not hide myself Mm. um and so yeah that is that is kind of my my initial relationship to it and its evolution for me how about you yeah no I wanted to like piggyback on something that you said immediately noting how the algorithm hates your physicality but is actually quite obsessed with your words yeah uh salem you go viral like multiple times a year yeah um and like by viral thousands of likes on literally screenshots of your tweets yeah literally (laughs) um but like you said the way that the algorithm will suppress content that's centered on you as an individual and your face and your body and your smile like what's happening in your day-to-day it's really really interesting to see and the way that she talked about uh, the resilience that it takes to continue to show up in that way even though it might not be applauded or even rewarded quote-unquote by the algorithm with views or likes or things I yeah I really applaud that I don't like to be perceived um (laughs) and so I'm you know I post on the internet way less than you do across all metrics (laughs) across every single platform I think you outpost me easily three to one um but like there's this way that you are consistent about showing up and not hiding the pieces of yourself that the algorithm has told you to hide right and that that's real work that yeah. can't be misplaced um yeah that's that's real work I feel like my words are probably taken less seriously than my face but I also don't post that much so it's just right. like eh, well you know no. I'm not getting the people who like my posts often are people that I know um typically uh and you'll get a fit like, when you post insightful captions and people only respond about cute dress I hate it so much like if I really spun a word in a caption everybody's like oh my god girl your face fire emoji fire emoji fire I'm like we all knew I was fine y'all like that hasn't changed did y'all forget like I've been fine okay um but (laughs) but folks don't be reading like that it's fine I have a blog now because I realize that the people you know just separation of church and state truly um I think I have a different relationship to the internet and social media. I'm a lot more wary, was not an early adapter of it because my mother wouldn't allow it. For those who don't know, my mom is uh, the director of a cybersecurity center at an R1 university. Mama been about it. She deleted her Facebook years before everybody else because Mm -hmm. she's always said if the platform is free, that that is because you are the product. And Mm -hmm. so... um, 
the way that I thought about social media was with that kind of cybersecurity. They're mining my data and information. My mom is just really obsessed with those sorts of things. I mean, not really obsessed. That is her academic work. That's her work. <laughs> work. <laughs> that is her academic work. Um, and so I was a little bit weary. For better or worse, I was not allowed to have a Facebook page or any social media for that matter until I started high school. So there are no embarrassing photos of me from like 2006 to 2008, which I'm so grateful for now. Mm -hmm. So grateful that those archives, they just don't exist. They live offline. Um, Exactly. And so I think I have this kind of uh, take it or leave it relationship to social media I don't post very often. I post in my stories more on Instagram. I only repost things from Instagram on my Facebook, which I still have mostly for the aunties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like retweet things on Twitter more than I'm like actually posting my own thoughts. And so maybe that means that I'm one of those stalker girlies who's just watching other people live their lives <laughs> on social media. Um but I very much have these moments where I'm just like, I don't want to be perceived. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to see me. I don't want people to witness me. Mm-hmm. I don't think all these people need to be in my business. Like, why do you know my favorite coffee spot? And we haven't spoken since the fifth grade. That's weird, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And so like those sorts of things and really, really trying to resist the ways that like you said, it's really easy to post for the algorithm and to see, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but like see everybody using filters and to feel like you have to use filters. Shout out to Snapchat. Uh, and so how do we hold ourselves really, really valuable and be serious about what we're willing to share or not share and how we're willing to contort ourselves for these platforms and for you know, acceptance from the people who are absorbing this, like, quote-unquote content, so. Yeah. I love that, and I, I think your relationship to social media is one of my grounding forces, so I really appreciate <laughs> that you are the way that you are about just the internet and social media in general, because I think I just have a more, like, lustful relationship to social media, like, I want to wake up, mm-hmm. I want to see what I'm up to, I want to share what I'm up to, and, um, and then it's like, oh, I haven't posted in three days, but then, like, Child Connie hasn't posted all year, so it's it's fine. And I really like I appreciate the way you move on social media just as a as a matter of like fact. Like it's something that I really appreciate. And if that wasn't like me, I'd be like you for real. If that wasn't me, I'd be you. If that wasn't me, I'd be you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I I think it lets you be so present in your real life in a lot of ways. Um, so I just love it. Um, I'm going to ask you that question, let you take the lead, but how do you think social media slash internet in general has shaped the way that you view yourself and present yourself? Yeah, I think that is an excellent question. Shape the way I view myself. One, I think it's really great that, like I said, I wasn't able to have a Facebook until I was in the ninth grade. So a lot of my ideas about self, unlike the, the youth that are coming up on TikTok, on Instagram, you know, they're exposed to so many ideals that are external. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I was really able to come up with a self kind of without all of those external forces and being able to come up in a time like before everybody was going viral. Right. Um, And so, you know, there's some ways that like, I, I don't follow influencers, quote unquote, like models, 
people who would make me feel a way about myself mm-hmm. um people who would make me feel insecure or feel like I need to change all these things in order to match up um you know I don't I don't follow them you know yeah. like because I just still feel like I could be really vulnerable to comparison and comparing myself to these Instagram girls who have had all this work done or have all this access, get all these free things. And that's just not going to be my life. And so there's actually very little reason for me personally to consume their content because I just, it wouldn't make me feel good about myself. And not to say that I follow people who make me feel good about myself, but I'm not going to follow people who make me feel bad about myself or make me feel like I got to get Botox or I need to do this or I need to do that. And I need to get a BBL and I need to lose this. I need to lose that because so much of social media is about being for public consumption. And I'm never going to be an Instagram baddie. Like I'm a baddie, right? I'm bad. Okay. I know I'm fine, Mm -hmm. but I'm never going to be an Instagram. Yeah. You know, that's just really not in the cards for me. Um, and so, yeah. And so, so I don't follow them to kind of protect my own stuff. When I see them, I'm like, oh, girl, she's fine. fine right. Hey, yeah. Um, but that's, that's not me. That's not the lane that God has placed me in, in this yeah. particular lifetime, maybe the next lifetime. Who knows? Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. be mad at it if I came back <laughs> as an Instagram girl. Um, yes. But yeah, it's like I'm very, very protective of what I allow myself to consume Mm -hmm. just because it's easy for me to feel vulnerable. And also, I feel like social media has made me far more radical and that has exposed me to so many, like, list all the bad things. But the amount of education that I've received on Instagram, on Twitter, back in the day specifically, um has radicalized me in ways that are just unmatched like Mm -hmm. whether it's been reading lists or documentaries or just infographics I've learned so much and it has really reformed a lot or been a a gateway to a lot of political education for me Mm -hmm. and so in in some ways it's allowed me to view myself more as a radical and to publicly present myself as a radical Mm -hmm. um as you know I've only been an activist in the social media age and I've only known organizing in a social media age and so using it to really expand my world view has been an excellent tool throughout you know the that 14 15 years that I've been on the internet Mm -hmm. yeah yeah what about you Hmm. I think very much viewing myself through an external first gaze is something that's mm-hmm. it's definitely social media influence and that's why I take re- like frequent breaks because it's that's one of the things that I don't realize when it's creeping on me it's like just kind of seeing my life as an outsider would see my life versus like seeing my mm-hmm. life as I see my life and sometimes when I see my life as I see my life I'm just like okay this is unacceptable like yeah. and then there are things that are like this is more than acceptable like it's actually okay um, and those things are not always the things that like an external person would view in the same ways. Mm. So for instance, like <laughs> if I like I can look at my accomplishments and say sometimes like and this is a double edged sword. Sometimes I can look at my accomplishments and say, 
oh girl like you've done so much like that's that's actually okay but I'm not taking care of myself you know and so I can mm -hmm. look at this really impressive life that I showcase and it's like the reality is like I'm tired I'm burnt out I'm like putting mm -hmm. all of these things I'm doing all of this work but because I'm kind of externalizing the gaze of my own life it just feels less honest like I'm less honest with myself about my needs mm -hmm. um and sometimes it's like that external gaze actually allows me to say, oh, girl, you've done, like, you've done more than enough. If an external person was looking at your life, they wouldn't perceive it in this way. Like, this is just you being yeah. it, right? And so sometimes that helps me. Like, I was thinking, I was like, wow, 20, 27 and 28 have been my flop years. And I don't know that. Really? I, yeah, I know. I feel that way for real. Okay. Things that happen when you graduate from law school at 21. It makes exactly, sense. Exactly. Exactly. But I'm like, I don't think that anyone else would perceive. I feel like if I started talking about this, people would be like, okay, bro. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think in that That's way, it's weird. Helpful, right? It's helpful because my own expectations of myself can just be so up there and mm -hmm. so high that it's actually helpful for me to level set and have connections with my peers and see myself more honestly in the context of community and how other people are mm. doing right and so it, it grounds me but it also stresses me sometimes and so it's important right. for me to like have both to keep me on some level of equilibrium um mm -hmm. I also think that something I think a lot about with how I view myself I present myself is how like similarly how making stories out of moments takes away from being present so what yeah yeah again, again. don't run through that say mm. it again making stories out of moments takes away from being present absolutely yeah and so, so when I'm I it's always the most noticeable thing for me when I go offline because when I go offline I have a day like I don't have these moments in my day that I'm making stories that I'm creating stories out of I'm just having a moment and I'm moving through it. I'm not, I rarely attach like a story to a moment, but mm -hmm. if I'm turning that into content, I am creating a story out of the moments that I'm having, which can make my day feel way more weighty than it actually is. Yeah. Versus like, oh, it was just a day. Like, what'd you do today? I lived, you know, like if there's no, there's no content <laughs> quote unquote and there could be interesting things that happen to me but even then because I'm not rehashing those interesting things or rehashing and then like talking about it even on stories like 24 48 hours later with people who are asking more follow-up questions about those things I'm more present in the things that are happening in the moment um and so that's an interesting thing that I always notice in my relationship to time even and my relationship to self is when I'm offline I'm just more present with my life and stories like if, if there's a significant moment, it becomes a story. But for the most part, my everyday, like I'm watering my plants and I just watered my plants. It's not like I'm watering my plant, I'm filming it. I'm like trimming it. It's I have not, to make sure my lighting is good. I have to make sure my <laughs> angles are good. I have to make sure that my, you know, sound acoustics is fine. Okay. It's too much. Right. It's, it's like too a, much. I, it, just, it was like 30 seconds when I watered my plant and that was it. You know, like there's no... <laughs> all extra all right. extra there's no story to it this made me just for a second another reason that we were talking about this topic um was because of the I'm trying to figure out how much I want to say 
but this reminded me the way you said that about people who vlog every single moment of yes. their life specifically mm-hmm. like their wedding day right. or the birth mm-hmm. of their child or mm-hmm. you know whatever mm-hmm. it is the weddings I think are most egregious and this is what I'm saying as a second shooter for a wedding photographer that's how I made money through college um but when it's like I have to stop and share all of these things that are happening instead of just being in this moment mm-hmm. and my least favorite thing as a photographer who's like hired for events is seeing all of the other mini photographers who just can't be here like how many brides this year have not made eye contact with anybody as they're walking down the aisle because you're looking at everyone's phones or everybody's looking at you through their phone right um and so because we're like so pressured to get content it keeps us from being inside of wherever we are um yeah it's too much it makes me sad like I know I love experiencing those sorts of content like I will watch a wedding vlog a million times I will watch a birth story a million times I love to be the consumer Mm -hmm. which is a part of the problem but I worry about how producing that sort of content content detaches us from our real lives because becomes a commodity and content and not you know a life and how much do people miss like what are the little things that you're missing out on right like what are just the micro moments that you will never be able to capture right I think of like a bird that you might miss you know or like just they're like the littlest things that will literally never happen again I think about that with kids a lot because kids are growing up like being consistently filmed their parents like looking at them through these phones and things and it's like are you making eye contact with this baby is this baby like are you just being in this moment with your child or like does everything need to be something that is you know documented yeah Mm -hmm. documented like can you just be here in it and this is also me saying I there are so many family vlogs that I used to watch back in the early aughts or like mid aughts 2010 to 2015 really Mm -hmm. um and I'm interested to see how those kids who came up in those ways are starting to resist being online and lots of family vloggers are no longer doing that content because their kids were just like no it's too much we want to just be in our lives we don't want to consistently film them so right. oh I'm so curious to see like what the I know society is going to overcorrect because that's what we tend to do <laughs> we're going to shift and we're going to like go into this I don't and we may not actually but I, I'm curious to see what when everyone gets fed up with all of the effects of social media and this over-processing, the, the over-stimulation and over-processing of our lives, I'm curious to see what an analog, like, balance looks like. Oh, I want it so bad. I yeah. want it so, you know, I'm always like, today's the day I leave the internet. <laughs> um, always 30 seconds away from leaving the internet at any time, which I probably should have led with, you know. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan. I'm grateful for it in a lot of ways, but... Yeah, I think hope maybe many folks will start to focus in on their intimate community instead of the consumption of more and more and more and more and more and more and more. Like there's a girl I follow on YouTube, or not YouTube, TikTok, who 
wants and she's like I've hit this plateau I'm no longer growing my platform isn't growing and she had like 1.7 million followers and I was like girl what do you want you're just a girl from New Jersey honey in (laughs) what world did you imagine having this many people follow you around right being in your house inside of your home watching you put on clothes you want more so you know but that was a real concern of hers because this is how she makes her money this is her livelihood and and i i worry about how all of that impacts you know the folks who are making their livings yeah trying to keep up with the kardashians right that sounded really like condescending i don't want it to be but no it's literally because they're keeping up with the kardashians literally because that's what they do like the kardashians are the case study of making their money off their visibility and their intimate live stories and they've been doing it mm-hmm. for like years now for at least 15 seasons of keeping up with the kardashians oh, yeah I, I i don't really know but they've been doing this for so long and they, mm-hmm. they've literally looked out so much of their public adult of their adult lives publicly um, oh, right and do is that like that is the model right so for people who are like mm-hmm. okay what is the business model for influencing what is a lifetime longevity model for influencing it is the kardashians like they're absolutely right and so is that is that kind of like the lifestyle that you want (laughs) right i think it forces an interrogation because they'll always is all of your life going to become content right please let me know right and if that's what you're looking for i think it will be interesting to see how that becomes more accessible to regular people um over time but i just I, it's not sustainable obviously absolutely not and there will be life events that make people lose interest like i'm curious to you know like the 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 people who blogged weddings like when do you now transition into like newly married content does that mean you're transitioning into like baby motherhood content like do right. all facets of content so are you just like as each life stage comes you're now building a new audience building all of these new things because you now have a new season of life like I don't know it's weird 100% weirdo behavior I I, you know it's definitely something that we have to navigate and coming up in the YouTube era we've seen people you know go from sharing their lives every single day to not really sharing as much to Mm -hmm. figuring out new lanes to sort of be with be in but to constantly live your life at the whims of literal strangers feels like a level of hell. Yeah. Good luck to those who do, honestly. Um, Before we move out of this question of social media shaping the way you view and present yourself, I do want to talk about filters and desirability. You know, some of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that filters are very interesting <laughs> because you can basically present yourself polish yourself quote-unquote um and you know change your change everything about yourself your whole face (laughs) literally get a whole new face uh for free 99 um but what is the cost of doing that and how you see yourself when there are no filters around Mm -hmm. can you see your own face without a filter (laughs) after frequent uses of a filter um because that's so it's actually quite jarring if you've been using filters for a really long time to see your own face 
without a filter. Yeah. And I also think that filters are a little bit like filters often optimize to a very specific aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Right. So like a lot of filters will slim your nose if you're a person who has like Negro nose. Um, filters will slim your nose down, make your nose more pointed, it will make your face like less textured. Obviously, it's it's creating flawlessness. It will lighten. Most a lot of filters tend to lighten more than like darken. I mean, unless you're trying to use a very specific type of filter. But you know, it, it's creating a very there's there's a particular aesthetic that is considered desirable inside of filters. And so even our use of filters can kind of be a little bit can like a little bit of us acquiescing to like these standards of desirability that we're actively trying to fight against as like a standard of beauty. And that's a little concerning to me. I still use filters, but it's just a thing that I notice about filters. And I want to be honest about sharing myself outside of filters. And that's something I've been working with, especially on feed. Like, how do I actually show my face as it is without excessive like blurring or tinting or, you know, porelessness because bitches have pores. Like, (laughs) anyways. That is that is my my thought on filters and desirability. Do you have any thoughts on filters? Yeah, what are my thoughts about filters and desirability? I definitely agree with you. So much of filters, it's obvious with filters how much Eurocentric features and white supremacy is just embedded inside of the algorithm. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, this overuse of things that would whiten lighten thin all of your features because the people who are creating all of these things are often centered in this white supremacist context that says this is what is beautiful this is what is desirable and so everybody would want xyz um and saying that like snapchat filters the dog filter, the dog face filter, the flower crown filter, all of those had me in a chokehold for all of college, right? Yay. And I I do think that there will be a lot more body dysmorphia and facial dysmorphia because there's a generation of kids who, and young adults who never see themselves, never present themselves without these filters and so I think it's it's leading to like a lack of comfort with our faces kind of as they are and as different things with aesthetics pop up and you can like change your face so much which baby do whatever you want with your body it's your body it's your choice Mm -hmm. um and in what ways are some of us being taught to hate the pieces of ourselves that don't look like whoever Kim Kardashian has decided to be today, right? Um, yeah, and so, you know, I think there's a way that filters and slimming features and like Photoshop, some of these things, you know, are good. We can hide. This, we can tweak that, we can do this. Worse in social media. Will we ever be able to know who is anybody? Right. When you meet people in real life and you're like, oh, this is what you actually look like in real life. Like, interesting. Mm. 
couldn't recognize you. Would have never known. But yeah, you know what but is, what is more jarring is like when you meet yourself in real life. <laughs> I think it's like, you know, like you have to go home to your body. You have to go home with your face. Like you are going home with how you are. And if mm-hmm. we're so externalizing and presenting ourselves as something different, what happens to the self that you see when it's just you and your mirror or just you and your yeah. body? Right. Can you still love that self? Yeah. At the yeah. quote unquote worst angle, at you know, a non-slimming angle, at like yeah, with your wrinkles and all the things that you've been socialized to not like about yourself, can you still like not even like, but can you still accept that self as you? Or does yeah. that self does your real self give you cognitive dissonance? because of your and ebgbs <laughs> ebgbs because of your, your real face gives you ebgbs <laughs> yeah i wish we could title this episode mm-hmm. does your real face give you ebgbs <laughs> you know answer okay. answer truthfully in your prayer closet whether or right. not your real face gives you ebgbs you know because there are some people that i have not seen without a filter since 2017 in so long yeah in so long and whatever that is I hope that you can heal that you can know that your face is probably fine yeah Mm -hmm. it's probably fine and there are people who like your face and you know you should be one of them too bring back one of them yeah Mm -hmm. bring it back Bring it, back, bring, bring it back bring it right on back and like i said at the beginning with like my self-regard when i allowed somebody else to disrespect me that was disrespecting all of the women in my blood there's some ways that when i look at myself and i see my face i see my mother and i see her mother and i see her mother's mother's mother and so in what ways are we being taught to hate the pieces of ourselves that are the truest parts of ourselves that our ancestral lineage um and remembrance, like what about our personhood being an expression of ancestral remembrance and how do filters and social media like flatten all of that because yeah. we're all trying to look like somebody else. So, yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good, baby. That's good. <laughs> mm, okay. That preach. <laughs> that will preach. That's a word. Like pass the collection plates. That's it. Hey. <laughs> No, we still have a few more things to talk about under this, though. But, like, I guess moving on to how do you think social media has changed your relationship or our collective relationship to vulnerability, authenticity, and art? I think it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because so many people have gotten large platforms off of their stories and off of their vulnerability. Um, and they've been given so many more opportunities than they would have originally. And so there's this way that social media kind of can equalize a lot of different folks and give people more access to a wider audience Uh however with that I think there can be pressure to go viral and to have this larger app form and be platformed and become this you know whatever the expert guru influencer Uh um 
And so what does that require of us? And what do we do when we are asked to cannibalize our own story? Mm. Mm. Um, and to consume, to have other people consume us for our or their profit like that's the big bad like mm. it is no longer you just sharing your story and your experiences to make the way easier to inspire but when folks are literally eating off of your pain specifically yeah you know because I don't believe anybody social media is a highlight reel like, like people are not as happy as they pretend to be online <laughs> in the darkest days of their lives and posting pretty pictures okay but um what does it mean when you are asked to like lay yourself and sacrifice yourself and your story out I you know this ties back into Jada and Will right like the ask from -hmm. social media from people who don't know them and won't never know them is that they share the intimate details of their relationship because they've been in front of us Mm -hmm. in front of us in quotes um and so I, I do think that there's this like forced vulnerability that is not authentic, mm-hmm. right? Um, and th- I'm a skeptic, so I'm like, mm, is anybody really being authentic in this place where we're just showing off our best self? Mm-hmm. However, I, I do think that this post-Brene Brown era vulnerability. <laughs> we have lots of There's thoughts. such a story here. Um, but the post Brene Brown era vulnerability has just led to people bleeding all over everyone else mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for clicks and for views and not for um, growth and self-development. Like thinking specifically about like B. Simone charging right. people to be in her close friends to watch after her cry. Her friend, yes, after her close friend passed away, right? Yes. Yeah, she, she, and I think it was right around the same time that we were dealing with our own big grief. So it was just like, I could never, like, I don't even want to talk about this stuff publicly. Absolutely not. The idea of like, oh, well, if you're in close friends and you pay a fee, like you get to see me grieve publicly. Get a bag, sis. Um, But also at what cost? Take yourself seriously. Like have some self-regard, like hold yourself that says that, you know, this is, this is not something that I will do. And, you know, that my biggest worry, especially with Black folks, who the root of racial capitalism is Black people being property, capital, products. Mm -hmm. And I worry about us turning our own selves into property, products, when everyone is a brand and everything is content. Mm. Um, Particularly for Black folks. Like we literally started out in this country as a commodity. Um, And how are we commodifying ourselves? Or consenting to our own commodification. Oh, and I, I, I do think that social media has made that far more acute. Yeah. And makes a lot of us more vulnerable to getting swept up in that wave. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. and, and so, you know, I think that people struggle with creating art, not in a huge way that we're seeing um, 
artists shift because they're trying to keep up with socials instead of making art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. That's big. How about you? Um, I think I am, you know, you said a lot of what I wanted to say about public vulnerabilities. So that that will preach, but <laughs> I, I think I I appreciate the ways that especially writers, because that's that's mostly my social media community now. I appreciate the ways that people give language to things and connect to that authentic selves through writing and sharing. Like, it's like you can get to know people in real time through the things mm-hmm. that they're intellectually processing. Um, and I respect that. I appreciate that. I think being able to do that has helped me be more comfortable putting my words out and really believing that, like, every, most everything I'm going through is not a solely tip, solely tip. You can do it. Sound it out, babes. Solitary. (laughs) Not solitary experience, right? Yeah. (laughs) English is not my first language, guys. Um, (laughs) Yeah, not everything is a solitary experience. So when I connect to other people on the internet or I share something and it comes from this deep place, um, I think it happened um, this last week where I put that little thing from my journal that said embodiment is a of something 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 request um and someone was like oh they read the caption and they messaged me and she was like everything that I'm going through is something you just gave language to and I really respect that I really mm-hmm. appreciate that and it's like oh this was just in my head and I was just trying to make sense of this thing that I've been feeling and someone else is feeling it too right and so it it brings a sense of I'm less, uh, it brings a sense of community because I feel less alone, yeah. whatever my interior world and my, the big looming feeling is. And that's something mm. I appreciate um, as someone who writes and puts my words out on social media pretty close to real time. Yeah. Um, but I think with that, it's like, are we, again, goes back to what we talked about earlier. Like at one point, are we making decisions for ourselves or decisions for the algorithm, right? Like, right how you choose to share your work is that because you know that this is what the algorithm is going to like thumbs up you for or is it just Mm -hmm. what you want to share and so coming back to that consciousness of oh yeah my words are my art and I can choose to share them as you know a picture of my tweet I can choose to share them from my journal I can choose to share them like in whatever way it makes sense to me to share not like in whatever ways I know the algorithm will reward me for sharing like I can choose to share them as a caption and know that yeah the right person will actually read the caption and you'll connect to them well <laughs> right you know like it it just but mostly I'm sharing because this is what I want to share and even mm-hmm. if no one resonates with it even if like it's like two to three likes like this is what I wanted to share today so this is my act of authenticity even if it does not create resonance but I think yeah. because we have social media platforms that have linked our sharing to the dopamine like high of getting resonance, it's like mm-hmm. our truths are never really valid unless there's resonance to them. And then the population yeah. of comments and likes and all of these things. And so how do we just speak our truth and share our thoughts and share our art and share even when there's no like dopamine receptors being triggered because lots of people are not 
resonating and commenting and liking and you know forwarding to friends and all of that like all of that being yeah. about um but I've also been thinking a lot about this year and me making collage like and especially like physical collage not digital collage but me having mm-hmm. an art practice that is visual but doesn't have its home online um mm-hmm. and that has been so rewarding for me and sometimes I share my collage pieces online but for the most part I haven't it hasn't become quote-unquote a content uh piece for me it's not something that I share often it's just I share it as needed or as I desire to but not a lot but having a, another really strong connection to things that are aesthetic to me, to things that tell a story, but don't have to have a digital component at all has felt really, mm. really nice. And so I'm exploring what it means to see myself as an artist outside of a digital container. And that's yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And seeing you explore collage and really being in your art girl bag during this dating hiatus has been (laughs) incredible, incredible watching you tap into that. Um, Yeah, I think there's so much there and you have a much more compassionate view towards social media than I have. Like you really do use it as a tool, see it as a tool, have a really benevolent read of it while I feel like a very begrudging user like in my in my mind I don't have these things but I have them and I'm here so I'm gonna be here um but I think you really did highlight a lot of the ways that it does give language and gives us access to people who we might not have ever known about Mm -hmm. if it weren't for these platforms and the need to you know Again, getting back to that self-regard, like maintain our own self-regard outside of engagement, outside yeah. of likes, outside of comments, outside of shares. What do I think about myself? What do I think about what I'm releasing, even if it doesn't receive this external validation? Mm-hmm. Because all of that is so fickle. Um, wow. Yeah. And I think that wraps perfectly into our closing question for the segment. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to believe that we are our own best things, even in this social media age. And I don't know if we have to answer that, right? Like, I think it's just something to sit and ponder with. Like, how will you hold yourself as your own best thing? What sort of practices can you use throughout this week to really operationalize the belief that I am my favorite creation? I am my own best thing. Like, I, I'm that girl, okay? Um. And you're not that girl no. because the filter says so. You're not that girl. Right. Because, you know, so people liked your your most recent IG post. You're not that girl because you got an extra, you know, 10 followers on TikTok. Like, you're just that girl because you are. You are. Because you are. Because you come from girls that were that girl, girl. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. So I have to find whatever gender neutral, whatever gender pronoun you. I think girl is gender neutral. That's I, my I, own. Yes. I use girl as a gender neutral term. Yes. That could come up for debate. But um <laughs> yes. you know, I, I want all of us to treat ourselves as beings worthy of being cared for and protected and nurtured in a way that often on social media that just doesn't happen. So yeah. yeah. Hmm, I love that. Thank you for rounding mm. that. That's a beautiful segment. Um, okay, 
We're going to move on to our Intel from my sis, which is our segment where we bring you things from our professional worlds and share them with you and share them with each other. So what you got for the girl, sis? Girl, I'm going to just leave it quick, fast, and in a hurry with uh, in these midwifery streets, as Dr. Stephanie Mitchell would say, in these internet streets, in these midwifery streets, in our, well, our shared home state of Alabama, um, even though, you know, barely home, but always repping. Yes. The Alabama Department of Public Health has been playing in the faces of midwives since 1974. Okay. Not gonna lie. All right. Um, a piece of the reason I'm bitter to this day is that when I decided to be a nurse midwife, um, when I decided to be a midwife, the only pathway to midwifery that was legal was certified nurse midwifery in the state of Alabama. But there were no nurse midwifery programs in the state of Alabama at the time. So I had to leave and go to another state to like get on this journey. And um, for years, for decades, the Alabama Department of Public Health has been obstructive when it comes to midwifery practice, and that is rooted in trying to get rid of the grand granny midwives who were predominantly Black at the turn of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And since they still play in these same games in 2023, um, three a group of three women, midwives and doctors, sued the Alabama Department of Public Health. Uh, Dr. Stephanie Mitchell of Gainesville, who is a midwife, a nurse midwife, and a professional midwife. Dr. Yashika Robinson of Huntsville, who's an OBGYN, and Dr. Heather Skeins of Birmingham, um, joint with the uh, ACLU of Alabama, filed a lawsuit, Oasis Family Birth Center et al. versus Alabama Department of Public Health. Because the state of Alabama was playing in everyone's faces and trying to move like birthing centers were illegal. Mm -hmm. They made them jump through all these hoops. And then after the hoops, there were more hoops. After the hoops, there were more hoops. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to make birthing centers hospitals, which just messed up all of the things. And there were all these regulations that were not in alignment with the American Association of Birth Centers regulations surrounding birth centers. The state of Alabama thought they could lie and say, we contacted AABC, the American Association of Birth Centers, and the AABC was like, no, babes, no, you didn't. You did not. Where's the email? Hold on. I ain't never heard of (laughs) y'all. And so long story short, after this has been going on for years, um, but in August, they filed the lawsuit. And at the beginning of this month, in early October, it came out that um, they had won. And so the Alabama court blocked a de facto ban on birth centers in a case brought by midwives and doctors. And this is so significant to me, not only because we're from Alabama, but because the need is so great in the state Mm -hmm. for increasing Mm -hmm. access to care. So two thirds of our 67 counties have little to no maternity care access. So they're maternity care deserts. Mm -hmm. um three hospitals it's been announced last week that three more hospitals are closing their labor and delivery wards Mm -hmm. um and so in such yeah um and so in a in a time where we really need access to more care um it is both inspiring to see midwives and OBGYNs really think outside of this hospital model and try to create different ways of providing the sort of care that we need because the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house so if y'all think we're gonna get free solely in these hospitals i really don't know which books y'all are reading but um 
here for community birth always for the people who are safe to birth in community which is many less but uh you know it is so important that there is continued access and furthering of access to care um and at the same time it's really hard to watch adph try to destroy that bit by bit time after time so happy that these black midwives won it makes me feel very good about potentially coming back home after i graduate in 2025 yeah um because if if i can't work at a birthing center i'm not coming back home i need y'all to know that right now yes um but if i can baby i'll be there in a minute so apply pressure pressure okay love that (laughs) thank you for giving that landscape to the people um here's to continual success of birthing centers in the states we need them because you know child i'm about to be up there in that birthing birthing age range (laughs) so you know need some birth centers please and thank you um my intercomicis is going to be from a different world this is from Mm -hmm. from my woo world so for those of you who do not know i am a certified yoga instructor and that world gave me a lot of access to eastern healing practices particularly focused on chinese traditional medicine um and so one of the things that i absolutely love is acupuncture acupressure and the ways that those can trigger support of your parasympathetic nervous system which is the opposite of your fight or flight so that is your rest and digest system um and this week one of the articles i came up about while trying to just you know keep up to date was an article around auricular acupressure Mm -hmm. which is a type of acupressure so the difference between acupuncture and acupressure acupuncture is usually done in like specific by specific practitioners using needles to apply pressure on acupressure points so acupressure Mm -hmm. uh points are points all over your system that kind of move the flow of energy according to traditional Chinese medicine practices. Um, Acupressure points, like you can practice acupressure at home if you just know specific points. And the one I was reading about and learned about this week is there there are certain points along your ear, which is auricular acupressure, that you can trigger to like Mm -hmm. immediately trigger your parasympathetic nervous system so i read this did a little bit of watch some videos about what those points are and all week have been practicing on myself to kind of see if i can find the right kinds of pressure the right kinds of time that will do that for my body Mm -hmm. let me tell y'all today i finally cracked the code and just had to share it because there is an acupressure point that you can easily access when you bend the like at the top of your ear cartilage. If you're trying to bend both of your ears towards each other, um, you will access an acupressure point right there. That absolute like if you're laying down, you feel everything immediately unclench after like 35 mm-hmm. seconds of holding that together. Yes. Yeah, so it's really, really cool to witness just the random tools that we have in our bodies that help us heal ourselves and even not healing from a capital h heal but just help us like reset right from the day reset from stress and so just want to encourage the people who feel comfortable with these types of healing modalities to look into auricular acupressure um and just you know play around with different acupressure points along your body and see some of them are really good for headaches some of them are really good for like 
um digestion some of them are really good for mm -hmm. like liver stuff so there's different points along different parts of your body that really help but I'm really loving the ear stuff because it's just really accessible um and that was really cool to just practice on myself all week until I found the perfect spot to like really reset my system yeah that's yeah. so interesting I um have used the ear points for migraines Mm -hmm. before particularly with all of my migraine history and I thought about getting that point like pierced yes um, because mm -hmm. say if you put the piercing like mm -hmm. whatever this little point is um it can help with migraines but yeah it's definitely a real life thing I 100% want to invest in more acupuncture treatments yeah this year is running out but like next year it is on yeah. my budget to like fit in because it is so helpful and so healing and not just lowercase h capital h like yeah. healing healing yeah yeah I feel that way too okay so moving on from this to our ask your sis this is where we get listener letters from you all please continue to send your listener letters to our email at big sisters anon at gmail.com and also dm us if you come with listener letters we want drama we want questions we want theses <laughs> we want treatises not really but you know not a treatise i'll take a treatise okay okay i kind of want to treatise so treatise thesis whatever you want yeah, um would love that yeah so since we are running out of time i will just say that next week's uh or uh, next episode episode six will be addressing kind of a listener letter question theme around moving to new spaces and finding community yeah um, yeah so a little preview of what we have to come and we decided to dedicate a full episode to that but yes Absolutely. continue to send us your listener letters we love we love you all and can't wait to hear your drama <laughs> all the drama and even if it's not super dramatic just yeah. help help us help you right help us help you yes okay Sis, where did you rabbit hole this week? <laughs> yeah. So I put something really, really uh, upbeat in the outline. But like the true answer is <laughs> I rabbit hold all of the things surrounding settler colonialism and Palestine and the need to free Palestine yeah. and all the ways that it intersects with reproductive justice and climate justice and just decolonial struggles everywhere as the crisis and genocide in Gaza continues. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's just really heartbreaking to witness genocide in real time on social media. Yeah. I think as we were like talking about what social media has brought us, it's like we now know how so much of the world can be hurting in ways that we would be distant from in a very specific way um if it weren't for social media and you know not having to necessarily listen to the news because we can watch like real live reporting mm -hmm. without having to wait for it to be filtered by cnn or msnbc mm -hmm. or god forbid fox news which at this point they all run in the same mm -hmm. imperialistic uh media so um, definitely sitting with what it looks like to bear witness and what it looks like to be an accomplice and a comrade in this very real struggle against settler colonialism 
um, which, you know, I feel like we know harms people for generations Mm -hmm. after generations after generations, even after the colonizer is gone, right? Mm -hmm. Do they really leave? Do they leave? Um, As, you know, American citizens, as Nigerian citizens, like the British are still here. (laughs) Everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere, you know, Um, and the ways that fighting for your own liberation like the impact that that will have on the people who are there and just you know the need to say that Palestinians should not have to prove to us their humanity in order for us to fight for their liberation yeah. and they do not have to be perfect survivors of okay. genocide and mm-hmm. imperialistic violence in order to deserve our support yeah so you know that's where I've been like finding more language and rabbit holing on social media, just really making sure that my position is clear. And my position, again, Nelson Mandela called Israel the settler colony of Israel and apartheid state. And that was all I needed to know. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So I, nobody has to prove this to me by any mm-hmm. means. Um, but making sure that I'm tapped into what people on the ground, Palestinians on the ground are requesting mm-hmm. from global siblings and people who care and who see the way that this impacts all of us yeah um, yeah so that is where I heavily rabbit hold sunk into a deep abyss mm. uh, but from the river to the sea Palestine will, Palestine be, free. will be free Palestine will be free um, on a much lighthearted note mm-hmm. uh, you posted in your stories a clip <laughs> from Insecure Insecure has come up so many times during this episode a yeah. clip from Insecure with uh, Molly and Asian Bay Andrew I think that's his name yes. so Yvonne Orji and her love interest for a significant amount of time Alexander Hodge mm-hmm. and baby I don't know what he said I don't even remember what he said in that little <laughs> clip that made me like <gasps> Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 He said, and "Can so I?" And I was like, he said, I, "He said what?" Can I taste it, baby? I've never been the same. Um, never. and so because of my deep lust and thirst bucket ways, <laughs> shout out to Nicole and Bim. Yes. Um, I had to rabbit hole down mm-hmm. a YouTube video, you know, moment, mm-hmm. various interviews. And I don't think I've ever listened to an interview of him before, like while all of Insecure was on. Uh-uh. This man is Australian and has an Aussie accent. And I was like, what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But of course I had to just, you know, rabbit hole down his life, watched a variety of of uh, interviews with him during early pandemic days and him talking about his mental health and what Insecure had meant. All of the things. And yeah, Alexander Hodge, I hope you're doing well, friend. I hope you're doing so well. And again, Issa, we thank you. <laughs> thank you, Issa. <laughs> we love you for that. Oh, I yes. love that. I love your rabbit holes this week. Um, I have not been rabbit holing down Palestinian content. When I, when I come across one, I will take a moment to bear witness, but I just have not and have needed that distance but I'm also like wow this is how people live through like genocide you know yeah. like this, this is how Rwanda happened this is how Congo if you've happened. ever wondered like how yeah. people did it like we're watching all of our friends we're, we're, it. Watching, we're watching it, it. 
everybody do it. It's well, so what, easy to do. Right. It's it's actually wild. And so that has been my wildest. Like every so often it just occurs to me throughout my day. Like we're literally living through and watching genocide, ethnic cleansing, like and state sanctioned and globally state sanctioned genocide like watching other countries at the UN and their dumb boats like just watching things and you're like this is this is wild this is mad anyway so I've been peripherally aware but not rabbit holing down that rabbit hole um what I have been rabbit holing down is African classical music so like African inspired Mm -hmm. and African themed classical music um I really love the African kora as an instrument it's like a string Mm -hmm. I think it's 12 strings, 12 stringed instrument. And so it has like a very unique sound. And that's something that I love. But I haven't really, honestly, like paid much attention to like African classical music as a genre until this past week. Like one of my favorite cola art, um, cola stringed artists released an album collaboration called African Rhapsodies. And it is by Seko Kita. I hope I'm not butchering his name but um, he's a South African uh, classical artist and he released this collaborative album with a bunch of other African classical artists and I was like what this is like the drums the percussion instruments like all of that just coming together to create a very specific brand brand of classical music was so cool for me Mm. and I'm like a classical girl like people don't know this about me but I do like classical music um, to wake up to sometimes uh, to end my day too and then when every when I just feel overstimulated that's one of the things that I go back to so I, I like music I like instruments and they just calm me in a very mm. specific way so I just wanted to recommend if anyone wants to rabbit hole down African classical there is obviously Sekou Kita's African Rhapsody's album which is the one I highly 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 recommend um, then there's Abel Salako's Where Is Home album mm. and that's less like it's classical inspired, but they're like mantras and like South African themes in there. And sometimes there's, you know, there it's not fully a classical album. It's like classical, but then you'll get like chants, which I kind of mm-hmm. like. I think that's very, you know, it's very, very African to take a genre and kind of bend it a little bit with chants and like affirmations, but mostly heavy on the classical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so that is that has been bringing me a lot of joy this last week. I've been listening, rabbit holing, playing on repeat, and just finding a lot of like nervous system regulation through drums and other instruments that I really enjoy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Add it to the playlist. Yes, yes. <sighs> well, friends, we have come to the end of a very long episode. Very long. <laughs> I'm tired. I, I don't know how y'all listen to all this yeah <laughs> if yeah. you made it all the way to the end we love you and we thank you and we're so glad that you are here um we are halfway done with this season woo, 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 woo. Wow. um yeah so listen wherever you get your podcast specifically spotify apple or google <laughs> yes um follow us on instagram at Big Sisters Anon. Send us your listener letters at big sisters anon at gmail.com. And you know, like, comment, subscribe, yeah. and leave a review. Leave That's a what review. all the good girls are doing. Yeah. Yes. Take care until next time. Bye, you guys. Bye, friends. <laughs>